and welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over a decade of experience. And this is Trisha, and in the summertime, my face gets fern-tickled. Fern-tickled? Yours might too. It sounds pleasant. Covered in freckles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not just my face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just my face. Hmm. But it's like so many freckles that it's almost like one big freckle. Oh, yeah. Yours is like your arms and stuff too. Yeah, my arms get pretty freckled. Sometimes mm. to the point where it looks like I'm tan, but I'm not. I'm I just see. Freckled. Yeah, I don't. That's it's weird. Like w- my face must just have different skin than my arms, because <laughs> yeah, my face will get like super freckles, but not my arms at all. Huh. Weird. Mm. Yeah, but that's burn tickled. Burn tickled. I like yeah, it. It's a nice way of saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, welcome to Addicted to Murder. Part two of the Hillside Strangler. And I am going to ask a question. You are. Courtney, if it if there were no laws regarding animals as pets, what mm. animal would you want as a pet? Oh man, I want all of them. Um if I have to pick just one, mm-hmm. I think it would be super fun to have like a fennec fox shut up i was gonna say fox uh-huh. i didn't even say fennec fox those are the little guys the little ones with the, the ginormous ears. ears they are so cute um do you follow any of those fox um channels on instagram or youtube you'd think i would i probably should i follow a bunch of red panda ones and those make me happy because red pandas are also adorable. I recommend Finnegan Fox. Um, oh, I've seen some of those. Oh my god, he's before. so cute! I mm-hmm. and she has a rescue in oh somewhere in the Midwest, I think, and it's legal to have foxes there. Mm-hmm. And if you go, you can. Um, she's got like a little zoo. You can go and pet the foxes. That's really cute. And you can adopt, but we mm-hmm. can't have foxes as pets in Oregon. Right. I yeah. looked into it. Mm-hmm. I would also want various species of wild cat, like the small ones, not the big ones. Okay. And... <laughs> well, I'm gonna go. Then I'm gonna go outside mm-hmm. the cat and dog canine mm-hmm. feline box mm-hmm. and say that I would like a dolphin. Ooh, that would be very cool. Have you ever pet a dolphin? I have not had the pleasure of petting a dolphin. I was in Hawaii one time, and we went to now. There's there's different places you can go in Hawaii to um, visit dolphins. Um, there are the kind where you can grab the back of the dorsal fin and have it pull you around but that it hurts the dolphin is what I'm told yeah I wouldn't want to do that because I guess it's like an ear to them that dorsal fins like Mm. cartilage so it'd be like if you were pulling someone around by your ear um Mm. but we went to a different place where it was like a research facility where they had um dolphins that they were rehabilitating to put into the wild Mm. so you got to get in the pool with them and touch them and pet them and stuff like that but you weren't riding them or anything Mm -hmm. and the way that they their skin felt was so I can't even describe it. It was warm and soft. Like you look at it and you think it's like like shimmery and kind of slimy, but like it was the craziest feeling. I it was unexpected, mm-hmm. and they're so cute. They are very cute. That's true. And it makes me laugh when I watch those YouTube videos of the dolphins humping the humans. <laughs> Do you ever see those? Yes, I, I spend have seen too those. much time on YouTube. I think. Yeah. <laughs> those are funny. Yeah, I mean, just <sighs> for the sake of it, like I love sea turtles mm-hmm. so much, and so like, if I knew it wasn't just going to 
completely kill their soul to be in captivity. Mm. Like, I would totally want Let's Eternal, but that would just be horrible this is, for them. This so is I never Imagination would. Land. Yeah. If we want to go, like, there's a South Park episode called Imagination mm-hmm. Land, and right. this is where we are right now. Got it. Where... So if I could have a patch of ocean where uh-huh. I could keep my sea turtle, mm-hmm. then I would totally want a sea turtle. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we both would like foxes. And sea I animals. wanted the red fox, though, because Finnegan's mm-hmm. a red fox. And then um, the the gal that's on that Finnegan fox page, um, she also talks about how some foxes are easier to potty train than others. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't remember which ones are. But um, they're pretty hard to potty train because they like to leave their scent everywhere. But right. it's possible. And hmm. some are different than others. But anyways, I highly recommended her page because he laughs. They all laugh. They do make really cute noises. So funny. All right. Well, that was my question. That was a good one. I like it. Thank you. Um, so we're going to do um, the second part of the strangler duo today do you want to just go over a smidge of what we do just to keep in tune with like what we typically do do you want to go over a little bit of angelo yeah so last week we talked about the older cousin involved of the hillside stranglers angelo bono um and we learned that he was pretty much a big jerk from the beginning Mm -hmm. he um was really mean to his mom didn't care about school got in lots of fights stole a bunch of cars impregnated and married a lot of women that he then abandoned and abused Mm -hmm. and then at the age of 40 was still trying to sleep around with teenagers yeah we're not sure how he didn't get busted for statutory rape but maybe they just didn't care as much in the 70s i don't know yeah or maybe you know his word against theirs and you know how cops like to believe guys over chicks back then that's true that's true but all right so Kenneth Alessio, Alessio Bianchi was born May 22, 1951. He was the child of a female prostitute who he never met, but it sounds like he may have known who she was um, later on, and a father, and he did not know who the dad was, um, at least nothing I could find said that he did. Uh, his mom was known to be an alcoholic as well. His mom placed him for adoption soon after birth, and he lived in a foster home for three months before being adopted by Jenny Buono, Angelo's mom's sister's... Okay, sorry. That made that was confusing. He was adopted by Jenny, um, Angelo's mom's sister. Her name's Frances Bianchi, and her husband, who worked at the foundry. Um, but he lost his money gambling on horses. Um, that sentence sounded really weird. I'm going to just say it one more time. He was adopted by the Bianchis. End of that sentence. Now the dad <laughs> works at a foundry, but he lost all his money gambling on horses, so they were kind of like not doing great who he got adopted by. And that's the connection between him and Angelo. Um, his adopted mom is sisters with Angelo's mom. Yes. So, Courtney, we know what happened with Ted Bundy, um, but do you want to go over a little bit about reactive attachment and how this can start at this young of an age? Can you go over a little bit about how an infant placed for adoption, even adopted this young, can have psychological changes in their brain chemistry or physiological changes? Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. So there are many things that can impact a child before and shortly after birth. You know, even before being born, an infant in the womb is impacted by their mother's life. If a pregnant mother is using alcohol, drugs, or smoking, this can significantly impact physical and brain development. 
think fetal alcohol syndrome as an extreme example. But also, if the mother is, say, under a lot of stress while she's pregnant, maybe she's being abused or is homeless or is doing a high-stress job, um, you know, this stress can transfer and impact the way a baby's brain develops and how it processes the stress hormones. So any of these factors pre-birth can result in lifelong difficulties with learning, emotional regulation, and impulsivity. Now, once born, the attachment between baby and a primary caregiver, usually mom, um, becomes increasingly important. So infants are completely dependent on an adult, again, usually mothers, for all of their needs to be met. And if that caregiver is unable to meet those needs and provide comfort and nurturing, it can lead to long-term difficulties forming trusting relationships with others. The extreme form of this is reactive attachment disorder, um, which is when a child is not able to form a trusting relationship with their adult, and it can result in behaviors such as lying, stealing, manipulation, aggression, and even violence. Um, if we think to, to Ted Bundy, mm-hmm. we saw all of those things from him. Yes, but that, that will always stick out to me with the knives when he yep. was three yep, with his sister. His, yep, mm-hmm. exactly. So... Um, Reactive attachment disorder typically occurs when there's been severe neglect and trauma um, during the first three years of life. Now, the fact that Kenny was adopted within three months of birth is actually a protective factor, um, and that the majority of his early development and formative relationship years were with a stable family, his adoptive family, um, or at least the relationship was stable. Um, You know, so it's unlikely that he developed RAD in these first three months, but that doesn't mean that he was not impacted by his biological mother's experience during pregnancy or in the very early days when he was still in her care. Well, can you tell us a little bit about what happens to a baby born to an alcoholic mother, Um, supposing they drank while pregnant, perhaps some of the mental and physical challenges they may face? If indeed Bianchi was born to an alcoholic mother, this is just a, this is sort of just speculation getting it out there yeah so there can be a range of effects from alcohol exposure and when the exposure happens during fetal development makes a difference Um, really unfortunately the most critical period for um, like the potential to get FAS um, is drinking within like the first like four to eight weeks often before women even know that they're pregnant really Mm -hmm. oh my gosh Right. That sucks because, yeah, I mean, I, if you don't know you're pregnant, you wouldn't necessarily stop your habits. Right. Exactly. Um, Not to say that damage doesn't come later on, too, Mm -hmm. but that's, like, the worst time. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. So physically, you know, prenatal alcohol exposure can cause a person to have a low birth rate, um, a shorter stature than average, uh, small head size and facial abnormalities such as small wide set eyes and a smooth space above the upper lip. That's often where you can like physically see people with FAS. What do you mean? A sm- I'm like pressing my upper lip. <laughs> yeah. So if like that space between your upper lip and your nose, mm-hmm. most of us have little ridges. Yeah. Yeah. Um, babies with FAS, they don't have those ridges. It's just Weird. totally smooth there. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So... Small little things like that. Okay. Um, But they can also impact major functions like 
kidney and heart functions, bone density, and neurological problems like poor coordination, speech and language delays, and cognitive problems, including a lower than average IQ. Um, and then behavior or mental health-wise, prenatal exposure um, can lead to things like hyperactivity, attention problems, poor memory and reasoning skills, and difficulty managing emotions, resulting in major tantrums or outbursts. And these, you know, of course, they all exist on a spectrum, so it could be more or less severe depending on when and how much um, exposure there was. Kenny's uh, bio, or sorry, not bio mom, Kenny's adopted mom claimed that as soon as Kenny was able to talk, he was lying. He would also go into what she described as trances for long periods of time um, and daydreaming um, periods as well by the age of five. Can you tell us a little bit about what you think is occurring and why? You know, there are a number of reasons that children lie. The most common is is to avoid getting in trouble, Um, but it can also be to get attention or get approval from others. Also, very young kids often have a vivid imagination and can at times have a hard time differentiating between fantasy and reality. So it's possible that Kenny could have been telling stories that were clearly untrue to his mother, but could have felt very real to him. Is the term compulsive liar in the DSM? No. No? It is not. So that would be a symptom of something? Yes, that would be a symptom. We see that with things like conduct disorder and oppositional defiant disorder and things like that. Okay. So when mom took him to the doctor, she told the physician that Kenny's eyeballs would roll back into his head during these so-called trances. The doctor diagnosed him with petite mal seizures and assured her that he would grow out of them. Courtney, do you agree with this? I think that seizures are a reasonable explanation. You know, I have worked with kids who have what are called like absent seizures, where it does just kind of seem like they're spacing out because they don't have like the convulsions that most people associate with seizures. Um, And so it is possible that, you know, Kenny could have been having dissociative episodes. Um, But in young kids, it's not that common unless they've experienced severe trauma and we just don't have any evidence um, that Kenny did. Okay. So probably seizures would make sense because he they did eventually stop. Mm-hmm. Kenny was also a bedwetter, um, at least until age six. Several online resources claim that his bedwetting caused great embarrassment for the young Kenny. And I say age six because around that time, Kenny visited Angelo in California. And I think that was really the only time that he had ever met his older cousin. And Angelo said that he remembers um, what he remembers of his cousin was that he was a nuisance and that he wet the bed. So that's the only reason I have the time frame of age six. Um, That was per the book. However, online, there was a lot of mention of his bed wetting. So, Courtney, it's been a while. Can you go over a little bit why some kids who have had trauma wet the bed? Yeah. So, first of all, trouble with bedwetting at age six is still within the normal range for kids. So, it's not that uncommon. Um, However, when a child has stopped wetting the bed and is fully potty trained but then regresses or starts wetting the bed again, then that can be a sign of, of trauma. Um, you know, children who have experienced sexual abuse in particular may wet the bed due to physical damage from the abuse um, as a fear response to memories or nightmares. 
um, or as a conscious or unconscious attempt to make themselves kind of like undesirable to their abuser. Like if I'm gross and I wet the bed and, you know, there's urine on me, then my abuser will leave me alone. Do they poop their pants for this reason too? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, often toileting behaviors are also seen when a child feels like their life is out of control and they purposely kind of take back control by choosing when and where they go because it's often one of the few things that they have any control over. Um, you know, and as kids get older, if they do continue to struggle with enuresis, which is the technical term for um, wetting yourself, um, you know, they would understandably be pretty embarrassed by this. You know, other kids and adults who don't understand the potential physical or emotional factors that may be involved can often be mean and make fun of kids with this problem. And when kids are embarrassed, they often lash out in anger as a defense mechanism. And we know that um, angry outbursts was something that Kenneth struggled with when he was young. Yep. Well, the older Kenny got, the worse his behavior became, speaking of. When he was 11, he had a terrible time paying attention to schoolwork, and he became angry and would have outbursts that became worrisome to his mom. She thought maybe something supernatural was occurring. Um, so she's a Catholic, right? So she thought he had the evil eye. Maybe that was from the Italians. I don't... Yeah. It was something. Demonic possession of yeah, some kind. Yeah, um, So she had his IQ tested, and it was around 116, which we know is considered above normal. Courtney, um, so many people think that they have ADD or ADHD these days, and maybe they do. Um, do you want to talk about that diagnosis, and if you think little Kenny may have been suffering with this, or do you think we're seeing the symptoms of a different problem? Well, um, what used to be known as ADD, or Attention Deficit Disorder, has been folded into ADHD, and so ADD itself no longer exists. Really? What if you don't have hyperactivity, and you're just... I will explain that in just a second. Oh, okay, sorry. I'm jumping the gun. Yeah. So, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, ADHD, can be broken into three types. So, predominantly inattentive type, predominantly hyperactive impulsive, and combined type. So people with ADHD and attentive type struggle with staying focused, they're easily distracted, they have poor memory and organization, kind of all of those attention difficulties. Mm-hmm. Um, those with the predominantly hyperactive impulsive type struggle with having too much energy, they can't sit still, they say or do things without thinking and jump from activity to activity um, and have trouble controlling their actions. And then those with ADHD combined type means that they struggle with both of those. Um, So this is, of course, a simplified description, um, but it's it's basically the gist of it um, when it comes to ADHD. So I actually think that it's likely that Kenny had ADHD. Um, You know, it's common for kids who have been exposed to substances in utero, um, as we were just kind of talking about, like hyperactivity and impulsivity can be Mm -hmm. part of it. Um, and, um, yeah, we were saying that we assume that he probably was mm-hmm. exposed to it. his mom was n- an, alcoholic. an alcohol user. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's also something that was not well known when Kenny was a kid. Um, it wasn't even added to the DSM until the 1980s. So taking him to a psychologist, um, that wouldn't even have been something they would consider a diagnosis because it didn't exist yet. Do you, um, 
So I've talked to people who have disagreed that ADHD without the hyper. So what old ADD was mm-hmm. uh, really was just someone not interested in a subject and not necessarily that they couldn't pay attention to something. They just weren't interested in it. So they chose not to. Do you disagree with that? Do you think that someone that is diagnosed with ADD, it's actually something um, their brain chemistry is not wired correctly? Or do you think it's just simply they're not interested in that and therefore they're not going to pay attention? Oh, I definitely um, disagree with that old belief. Um, I've worked with plenty of people with the predominantly inattentive type of ADHD, Mm -hmm. and it is a real struggle Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm the firm believer of, you know, children and, and people do well if they can. And I mean, nobody, nobody wants to be the kid that is called lazy or is disappointing people or like anything like that. Typically, like if kids can do well, they do. Mm-hmm. I mean, there of course are exceptions to that rule. There sure. are, you know, kids who just don't want to do something and so they're not going to do it right um but those that want to but can't it's a very different thing I'm like on the fence like I know there are topics that don't interest me and therefore it's easy for me to space out I don't necessarily think I have ADD um yeah that's pretty normal yeah Mm -hmm. and so you know I don't and you know there's a couple ways to um treat someone right like therapy is a way to help treat and then, of yeah. course, there's medications. Right. Um, yeah. And kind of the most um, widely accepted best practice is a combination of the two of therapy and medication. Um, you know, the medication helps with the actual brain chemistry piece of it. Mm-hmm. And then the therapy can help with finding ways to cope with it or ways to accommodate it. Is, it, is there a lot of... Um... I don't want to say grounding, but um, like mindfulness and that type of therapy to be like, okay, I need to get back to what I'm supposed to be focusing on. Yes. Like mindfulness, redirecting or whatever. Mindfulness is a huge part of, gotcha. of therapy with, with ADHD. Okay. So Bianchi's teachers claimed that he was lazy and then he didn't work to his full potential. Um, he was definitely smart enough to pass his classes, but if he could get out of school, he would. He would pretend to be sick to get out of going. He did this a lot. All Which of is this, also really normal for kids with ADHD. Oh, really? If they're struggling, um, they sort of just stop trying. Gotcha. That makes sense. All of this, especially his laziness, made his uh, mom mad. She took him to a psychologist for further testing. The psychologist found Kenny to be hostile and codependent on his mother. Counseling was suggested for both of them, but Francis, his mom, declined. His mom enrolled him into a semi-private Catholic school called Holy Family Elementary. He learned how to read and write, and he was actually really good at it, and he especially, especially excelled in creative writing. But he was not keen on adapting the Catholic teachings at the school. By the time he was 13, his adoptive dad passed away, leaving his mother needing to work to support the two of them. Kenneth apparently did not cry outward or, you know, grieve in any way when his adoptive father passed away. Courtney, can you talk a little bit by, uh, excuse me, can you talk a little bit about why that might be? Maybe speculate if this death paved the way for the monster who he had a love-hate relationship with women would become? Everyone reacts to grief and loss differently, so there are a number of reasons why Kenny might not outwardly be emotional after his father's death. Um, You know, it's possible that at the time, being 13 in the 1960s, 
that he, you know, somehow received the message that it's not acceptable to cry or express sadness, you know, because he's a boy and he has to toughen up and be the man of the house mm-hmm. and kind of that sort of attitude. So he may have internalized that and then kind of just kept those feelings to himself. Um, it's also possible that there were dynamics in that father-son relationship that we just don't know about, like a history of abuse that was never disclosed or, um, you know, something like that that may have changed Kenny's feelings towards his father, which would be a reason for him to maybe not grieve so mm-hmm. much about it. Or maybe, you know, it's some budding psychopathy or attachment problems um, that prevented him from even forming a strong bond with his father. So whether there were already attachment problems, um, it could be especially difficult for a child who already experienced the loss of parents through adoption to then lose their adoptive parent as well. It's sort of like a magnified experience of of loss and abandonment Mm -hmm. because now they've lost two parents. Um, And so this loss could have been a trigger for, you know, Kenny's rage or indifference later to death. Um, again, multiple sources that I did research on suggested that his adoptive mom could have benefited from therapy. Like, it was insinuated that she had mental problems. What they were, I don't know. Um, but, you know, perhaps all of this will tie into eventually what happens to him. Um, yeah, just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, that's good information. So Kenny dated in high school, and he even joined a small motorcycle club, perhaps to flaunt, you know, this at the Catholic Church. So he, he from the Catholic Church, it sounds like he took some of the ideals and then meshed it with what was going on in his head. Um, and that was especially true for what he believed women should be like. Okay, I probably go over this a little bit later, but... Um, Anyhow, he also got a tattoo that said Satan's own MC and a picture of a motorcycle. And apparently he got a little embarrassed of that later on. He got married to Brenda Beck, a childhood friend, but that union only lasted for a while. He thought that she had been with someone else before they got married. And the fact that she was a nurse made her a prime target for infidelity in his mind. Anyhow. Okay. (laughs) All those nurses out there. Um, Anyways, like I said, he had a confusing relationship with his Catholic upbringing and the teachings of the church um, in his own mind. Quote, he was able to confuse ordinary women with the virgin and could be moved to better disappoint, even anger and fury at their human frailties. So basically, he was expecting all of the women he dated to be perfect virgins. But he himself, of course, was dating all sorts of people. Double standards. Courtney? I mean, is there anything that's more classically misogynistic than men expecting women to have sex with them, but not anyone else ever? Mm -hmm. He had an on-again, off-again relationship with a gal named Donna. During one of their fights, he went to her apartment and she refused to let him in. He took matters into his own hands and smashed the window and started to break in. Donna got out of there and called the cops. She dropped the charges because Kenny seemed so remorseful at the PlayStation. She fell for this act. Kenny next decided he wanted to be a police officer. Uh, He even enrolled in some courses at the local community college. He took some psychology classes while he was in school as well as police science. But just as with his other school experiences, he skipped class a lot and even would go to the medical center on campus with frequent 
ailments to get out of classes. He did not pass the police test, but he did get a job as a security guard. He used this position to steal things. He stole all sorts of things, and he would give those things to many of his girlfriends and gifts. He never got caught, but he was suspected by his employers as being the theft or the thief, so he changed jobs a lot. He compared um, the the needing to steal as like he had to pee really bad. So he had to do it. Um, Courtney, have we gone over kleptomania? I think we did with Robert Hansen. Yeah, we did talk about kleptomania with Hansen. Uh, but just kind of a re- review, right? Kleptomania is an impulse control disorder um, through which a person feels like an irresistible urge to steal things, even things with little to no value. Um You know, I don't feel we have quite enough information about Kenny's stealing behaviors to say for sure that he has kleptomania, Um, but there is a correlation between kleptomania and ADHD, Hmm. um, given that impulsivity is a major component of both. Um, You know, and stealing is also a behavior associated with antisocial personality disorder and conduct disorder, which could also be at play here. I'm just thinking of his comparison of the need to do anyone's need mm-hmm. to do anything with having to pee really bad. Like you have to do it. I haven't heard mm-hmm. that comparison before. I haven't either, but I think it's actually a good one. Yeah. Um, for how strong those urges mm-hmm. can get. Yeah. You can't just forget. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so he also worked for a brief time as an ambulance attendant, which introduced him to dead bodies, which will come into play later. Yes, it will. Um, So he kept getting fired and other girls refused to marry him. You know, he didn't get the job with the police. All of this and, you know, more prompted him to seek a fresh start. So his mom talked to her sister, Jenny, and arranged for Kenny to stay with his older cousin, Angelo, in California. You know, the last time he was there was in 1976. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. No, the last time he went there was when he was six years old. This time it is 1976 and he moved to California to get a fresh start. Um, He moved in with a cousin he hardly knew, a cousin who was, I think, like 14 years older than him, something like that, and who was very, very different. But they worked together to terrorize the Los Angeles area in the coming months. Yes, they did. Um. So, yeah, that's where we're going to stop today. We now have gone over Angelo's childhood, Kenny's childhood, and we're bringing them together in 1976 when Kenny moves across country to be with Angelo to make a fresh start. Um, Two very different people, two very different backgrounds, both on their way to being huge pieces of shit. Right. Angelo might already be one. That's true. He already is one. Yeah. <laughs> Take that Kenny's back. Kenny's only like 22 or something at this, at this point, time. Kenny's like, you know, the, I don't want to say the worst thing he's done, but, um, you know, the, the reaction he had to Donna when he broke into her apartment and whatnot was the beginning of some very bad behavior. But Right. He and hadn't. he liked to lie and steal, mm-hmm. but he hadn't really done anything violent. Right. And he was not having sex with 13-year-olds. Thank goodness. Yeah. So anyways, um, anything you want to say before we wrap up? Um, I think we'll we'll probably get into this more next time, but um, there's like this phenomenon that can sometimes happen when um, two people who on their own would 
you know, never do something as violent as like murder or things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you get them together, just that like perfect mix is like a catalyst for this type of of behavior. Um, We should bring that up later. I kind of have a feeling that Angela might have went that way, but I don't know if Kenny would have. I don't know, though. Right. Yeah. Like, would Kenny have become a serial killer if he had not met with Angelo? I don't moved in. With I Angelo. don't think he would have. But who's yeah. to say? Right. But as for Angelo, he might have. Yeah, he already was already far yeah. gone. I yeah. Think. So. All right. Well, um, that's all for today. And we will see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.